hope is the topic for the month of January. It's a small word, but it offers us much to consider, particularly in light of the sad and troubling events of the past week. Fortunately, Reverend Nick is doing his yearly series, beginning today and continuing for the next two Sundays on hope. It's history, it's positives, maybe even some negatives, and how we should think about it as you use. As I started to consider the idea of hope, and admittedly using very broad strokes, it began to fall into two categories. The first is what I would describe as passive hope, or the hope of wishful thinking, as in, I really hope that I have the winning Powerball ticket this week, something over which I have absolutely no control. The second category of hope is what I think of as active hope. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that this is the hope that is at the core of who we are as Unitarian Universalists. We find it in our mission statement, which begins the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbus, Indiana <clears throat> is a community of hope and courage. We also hear the word in every single one of our services, as we will in a minute or so. We light this beacon of hope. These are not frivolous statements. We're called to act. We're called to do something. That challenge is echoed in the second line of our chalice lighting words, sign of our quest for truth and meaning, with emphasis on the word quest. It's an ongoing challenge. But what happened on Wednesday was disheartening. It was depressing, and I don't mind telling you it brought tears to my eyes. What does it say about where we're headed in 2021 and beyond? What does it say about the viability of hope? I've always been a glass half full kind of person and I still am. So even though hope may have its limitations, I believe that it is as important and as relevant to us as you use as it has ever been. We need to keep the flame burning and not shirk in our commitment to make this a better world for all. Come, <clears throat> let us worship together as we try to make sense of hope and how it impacts us as you use. Thanks, Steve. Well, I was looking for my wonder box this morning and as if a cruel joke, I couldn't find it. And instead, I found, perhaps appropriately so, my Motrin Wonder Box. Maybe you have one of these in your house as well. And so I <clears throat> opened it up because recently these have uh, been my appropriately uh, spaced out throughout the day friends because I want to let you in on a little something. I, I think you know that I like basketball. And if you don't, I like basketball. One of the things I don't like about basketball is if I fall and uh, uh, fracture my rib. So recently I was playing basketball so effectively one on zero. I didn't even have a defender. I was that good. I was playing one on zero and I fell. And in that moment, when I heard a little pop, I knew it's all downhill from here. 
I felt, uh-oh, I'm going down, elbow into the rib, and in that moment, and I know this is all relative, I definitely felt my age. I felt like, oh my gosh, and in the last two weeks, or week and a half, as I've been trying to recover from this um, fractured rib, I have just felt so slow to movement, so like every little movement I can tell. It's the same with neck injuries. If you ever have a, a, a pulled, pulled neck or something, you don't realize how much your, your body uses those, those muscles. And I was thinking about that this week as we were planning for this service and this sermon series, this annual first of the year, January, when I'm back, three Sunday uh, sermon series. And this year it's on hope. And I was thinking about this sort of imagery of the hill and how it's used in different ways. Some say, um, you know, it's uh, uphill or it's downhill, or someone is over the hill, or at their peak, or approaching their peak, the hyper, hyperbolic kind of curve kind of gives us this imagery, especially during the pandemic. And I was thinking about, as Unitarian Universalists, how do we think about hills and the hope uh, that we have for the way before us? Now, when I started thinking about this imagery was before Wednesday. And I think the events of Wednesday, these very tragic events that have shaken us and our nation to its core, I think that that has given a whole new imagery about the concept, concept of it's all downhill from here. For me, it makes me wonder whether we really are on the up and up for, for onward and upward forever or whether it really is smooth sailing as another imagery downhill uh, from here. I'm not the most um, athletic person. I do have, I do play my basketball one on zero, but I do wonder in times of injury, which I feel our country is facing right now, whether we have the time to really um, step off the court and really heal uh, before we get back on. And I think in these coming days and weeks, we really need to consider the pain that has been inflicted. Mine is so inconsequential, so inconsequential to the horrendous, life-changing, once in a century, once in two century uh, threat that was experienced this past week. But in times like that, it makes hope that it will get better, that it will be easier, that we've, you know, kind of, we've gotten to the worst of it um, in this country's history. It makes that hard to fully believe that perhaps maybe the, not the best is yet to come, whoever sang that before my time, but perhaps maybe it's still going to be harder before it gets better. We'd like to believe it will get better. And as Steve talked about, and we'll talk about more in the sermon, there's a difference between passive hope and active hope. And so this sermon series, these next three weeks, are really inviting us to think about how we embody hope for good and for ill. 
And so may we pick ourselves up today, turn to one another for connection, for courage, and may we get back out there when the time is right and fight for the things we love, fight for one another and for a hopeful tomorrow. May it be so. And amen. God has made humans with the instinctive love of justice in themselves, which gradually gets developed in the world. But in God, justice is infinite. This justice of God must appear in the world and in the history of humanity. And after all the wrongs that patient merit of the unworthy takes, still you see that the plowshare of justice is drawn through and through the field of the world, uprooting the savage plants. The Proverbs of the nations tell us this, the mills of the gods grind slow, <clears throat> but they grind to powder. Ill got, ill spent. The triumphing of the wicked is but for a moment. What the devil gives, he also takes. Honesty is the best policy. No butter will stick to a bad man's bread. <clears throat> Sometimes these sayings come from the instinct of justice in humans and have a little ethical ex exaggeration about them. But yet more often they represent the world's experience of facts more than its consciousness of ideas. Look at the facts of the world. You see a continual and progressive triumph of the right. I do not pretend to understand the moral universe. The arc is a long one. My eye reaches but little ways. I cannot calculate the curve and complete the figure by the experience of sight. I can divine it by conscience, but from what I see, I am sure it bends toward justice. Most of the time, the people of the liberal church have not been asked to linger long in troubled waters. And yet, this rapid movement from meaning-making to assurance of comfort, framed by white people and presented to white people, is jarring for those who live with no such expectation of safety or privilege. People at the center of the struggle and the margins of power do not often get the option to move on quickly. Sometimes the hopeful narratives that Eurocentric liberal churches create in order to make this quick and clean transition from tragedy to assurance strain credulity. The unflappable self-assurance of privileged white people can be exhausting. It is difficult to preach that all things shall grow into harmony with the divine when things seem to fall apart all around us. It is difficult to proclaim that this beautiful harmony will be created by the church itself when the church remains centered on the experiences and expectation of people who, for the most part, has spent far too long at the center of power. Preachers of the liberal gospel are hard-pressed to be authentic in our liturgies and community practices while conforming to our tradition's utopian idealism. 
regarding the inherent perfectibility of individuals and the upward trajectory of humankind. This is true, even though many of the people we serve have come to expect exactly this kind, kind of optimism on a Sunday morning. Today, the idea of idealism is not enough. Last January, I began what I hoped would be an annual sermon series each January, focused on a topic of my choosing, sort of a way to kick off the year together. The topic each year will be particularly relevant, I hope, to each of our lives, to our congregation, and to this time in U.S. history. It will be relevant and practical. At its best, it will be informative and actionable, a series of sermons that helps us move forward toward our ultimate ends as a congregation. May that aspiration be true this January and for years to come. This year, I would like to preach on the topic of hope and how we think about hope and how hope moves and functions in our lives. The original theme for this month, a theme which our Chalice Circle program will continue to explore, was on imagination, which is, of course, not unrelated to the whole concept and practice of hope in life. Specifically, I want to uh, spend the next three weeks examining the foundational nature of hope in Unitarian Universalism, its potential limitations, and even the harm it can cause. And third, and finally, considering how hope can be an active tool in our lives as Unitarian Universalists. I hope you're able to attend all three of these as they will sync together. As I mentioned, today I want to begin at the ground upon which our Unitarian Universalist tradition is founded. Whether you have been UU for years or decades, or you're just now trying on the title, or you still quite aren't, aren't quite sure about what it all means, let me let you in on something. Our history, our living tradition, illustrates a continuous thread, really more of a tapestry of strands or fabric, which taken together shows the ongoing journey of our lives as we grapple with the big questions, questions of ultimacy, and the small questions, questions of intimacy that carry no less meaning for each of us. These are some of our questions, questions like, where do we come from? What are we? Where? are we going? Are humans naturally good or evil? What is evil? What is the purpose of my life or your life or of our lives together? What sort of difference can I make in this lifetime? Or does my life even matter? What should be valued? What is permanent? What is lasting? And what can be discarded? What can and perhaps should be let go of when the time is right? What holds us together as a community, a family, a congregation, a nation, a world? And 
How do we stay together on this journey, even and especially when we are faced with trial, horror, and a sense of helplessness? These are not my questions. These are not even just our questions. These are the questions of the living. For those who have lived and those who are alive today, those who seek to understand and move and make a difference in this world, these are the questions that we grapple with, that we chew on, that we discuss and practically engage in this congregation, in this community of UUCCI. And so it has been for generations, for hundreds of years and in different ways across all of time and place. One of these questions that feels particularly pertinent this Sunday in the wake of the Electoral College certification, the deadly riots at the U.S. Capitol, and in the midst of this ongoing public health crisis is, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? It is a question about direction a question about the future and about a present concern for each of us who ask humbly, where will we go from here? Perhaps it is an eternal question, a perennial one, a daily and constant one in our lives. But this question is without question, a question of faith. And I use that term in that clarity, right or wrong, either or, is rarely, if ever, present to, in our consideration and our conclusion. Where will we go from here is a question requiring deep introspection, thoughtful conversation, and steadfastness to our clear principles and values that we cherish. In times of great upheaval, personal, familial, national, or the like, it is commonplace to revert to the moral and spiritual inheritance that we have received, knowingly and unknowingly, and like a garden we have tended over the course of our lives. For me, as a lifelong Unitarian Universalist, and I extend this to all of us, regardless of the length you have been involved in this religious tradition, I cannot separate the future, the what might be, from the idea of hope. Hope is what I am about. It is what my congregation growing up was about. Hope is what our living tradition was founded upon, a belief that all will be well in the end, that all will be well, that love will win, that hate will cease, that justice will roll down like water and peace like an ever-flowing stream. This is my hope, like a deep, endless well from which I drink and make meaning of this world. And I don't think that I'm the only one, that hope is, is also not your friend as well. Truly, one of the things I hear most often from you is that being a part of this congregation helps you to feel more hopeful about our world and our collective future. And so as I was thinking about this sermon series, a series on hope, I was just reminded again and again of how much our way of being and thinking 
feeling and acting in the world is centered on the precious and often audacious gift of hope. And so this morning I wanted to get to the root of it at, or at least to something beneath the surface of this time and this place. So we're going to travel back to a time in history when a Unitarian minister preached a sermon that would have a major consequence in the shaping of our religious tradition and I dare say the idea of liberalism as a whole. So we're going to travel back almost 170 years ago to 1852 and I don't think any of us were around in those days. The preacher we will turn to is Theodore Parker, one of the most prominent Unitarian ministers of his day and an avowed abolitionist. The sermon was titled Of Justice and the Conscience. Now that is a title with gravitas, Of Justice and Conscience. Makes my sermon titles feel a little quaint, but I like it. Even if you have never read this sermon, you may recognize some of the words that Steve read this morning. It may ring a bell. In our first reading, uh, quoting Reverend Parker, Steve said the following, quote, Look at the facts of the world. You see a continual and progressive triumph of the right. I do not pretend to understand the moral universe. The arc is a long one. My eye reaches but little ways. I cannot calculate the curve and complete the figure by the experience of sight. I can divine it by conscience. But from what I see, I am sure it bends towards justice. It sounds so familiar, the idea of the moral arc of the universe being long, but that it bends towards justice was popularized by the 20th century minister and national hero, the civil rights leader, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He resonated, as did President Lincoln, with many of Theodore Parker's ideas about justice and conscience, about the personal and collective arc of history. This sentiment is not a scientific proposition, although Reverend Parker did say we need to just look at the facts of the world. No, this is ultimately a proposition of conscience, of inner wisdom, of something beyond our sight itself. Hope is in our DNA, and that DNA has been genetically passed along through our spiritual ancestors, those people who have trumpeted a gospel of love, held strong to a commitment of justice, opened their arms to an embrace of difference. These forebears of our liberal religious tradition have handed us their hope to carry on now into 2021. On the surface, this sounds like a pretty good thing. Hope? Yeah, I could use some of that. Sounds much better than the opposite, but I want to explore the challenges this unfettered liberal hope and optimism can put before us. In a paper I wrote for a ministerial study group with other UU ministers, which I'm a part of and it meets once a year, I reflected on this very topic. Back in 2018, when I delivered the paper, my response uh, was to another colleague's essay, and my essay was titled, 
What if the moral universe doesn't bend at all? And I won't go deep into it, but this is the part I wanted to lift up from it. I wrote, I believe unintended consequences have emerged as a result of many Unitarian Universalists' overly reductive ideas about the arc of the moral universe. These consequences have been lifted up by the devastating realities of human existence. The question is simple. If the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice, what ultimate role do we, as human beings, play in its bending? Or rather, if the bending towards justice is a given, do we, as human beings, have to do anything for us to ultimately arrive at the promised end? So this is the argument I was trying to make. If the moral arc of the universe is long and it bends towards justice, we can and do have hope. I would call it passive hope that ultimately one way or another, we will get to the other end of the, rain, of the rainbow. In other words, it's a given. The beloved community is a given. Heaven on earth, peace on earth is a given. Or in the, in the words of the 19th century Unitarian minister, the Reverend James Freeman Clark, ours will be a journey onward and upward forever. My fear at times is that this progressivist, progressive understanding of history can lead us to passively engage the current events of the day. This week's horrific events are an example, not so much of our passive indifference, but of our unintended paralysis, our numbness and uncertainty of what to do or where to go from here. In the midst of it all, somewhere, I believe, deep inside us, this notion of hope, of liberal, boundless, universal hope reinforces a perhaps undeserved comfort that likely all will be well in the end. But what if that's not true? What if all won't be well in the end? This particular sermon was influenced by a book I read by Reverend Nancy McDonald Ladd, who grew up, surprisingly, in Posey, not surprisingly, in Posey County, Indiana, which I haven't been to, but some of you might know. She now leads one of our largest Unitarian Universalist congregations, which is in the D.C. area and is regarded one of the most um, one of the best preachers in our movement. And she's only a bit older than me, just a little bit. In our second reading this morning, she makes the argument that Unitarian Universalists tend to not wade in the waters of despair too long and prefer instead to return to the shore of hope and safety. She writes that our sense of hope was shaped by people of privilege, like Parker and Clark, namely white men, who rarely were faced with personal mortal concern. Whereas the genesis of hope is oriented most to those people on the margins of power. Unitarian Universalists, including ministers, are faced with a dilemma which she described in this way. She wrote, it is difficult to preach that all things shall grow into harmony with the divine when things seem to fall apart all around us. It is difficult to proclaim that the beautiful harmony 
will be created by the church itself when the church remains centered on the experiences and expectations of people who, for the most part, have spent far too long at the center of power. So said differently, we come to expect hope on Sunday mornings, not despair, not lament, and surely not hopelessness, which we're going to discuss next week. However, at times, and this week may likely be one of those times, our hope feels too small, even childish, or perhaps just too soon. Perhaps we are ready Perhaps we are not are ready, not ready just yet to hope, to, that we're not ready for that. And in that space, that not yet space, we are left raw, like this morning, uncomfortable, sitting with the dead, the dispossessed, the forgotten. In that space, that sacred space of not yet, we are both alone and together, both weary and still alive, and faced with the question, can a people of hope really long for it if they haven't been faced, if they haven't been face to face with hopelessness? Can a people of love and life really long for it, long to be it, if they have not experienced hate and death up close, painfully close? I believe the events of this past week, of the past year, and some important events throughout our lives may very well be keys to our courageous future as a congregation. I believe our nation and this world depends on us not merely clinging to a passive hope of inevitable progress, but of wading in the waters of despair, moving to the margins of power and honoring our numbness, our fear, and our uncertainty of what comes next. My friends, ours is a community of hope, and in the weeks to come, I pray that we are gentle and kind to ourselves and those around us. Our hope, our future is not assured, but our actions now in the days and weeks to come will surely make all the difference. And in our journey forward from here, may we just take a moment to give thanks, if but for only one thing that is true this morning, that we take this journey not alone, but together. May we give thanks for this now and always. May it be so. And amen.